A reading from the 22nd chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning with verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to tell you a couple things that are helpful to know about this text. The imperial tax, the NIV uses that language specifically because people have forgotten what that was. You know, when we read in our Bibles now that they asked him, was it right to pay the tax to Caesar or not? We may not know exactly what that tax was. Well, this particular tax was one that was levied on conquered nations. So if you were a Jewish person in first century Israel and the Romans had rolled in decades before, conquered your nation, made you subject to their laws, they had given you a few things. They had said that your ruling council could still govern the people, a council that ultimately would convict Jesus. They gave him a king named Herod, an Idumenian, who was propped up. He was like a puppet king, somebody that was put in place just to be there. And the people who were loyal to him were called Herodians. And the interesting thing here is that somehow their dislike for Jesus, their distrust for Jesus, we might even dare to say their hatred for Jesus had caused them to decide that they could be buddies. That's very elementary school, isn't it? That's what it made me think about. When you have um, that whole thing going on where, you, where children buddy up with people who also don't like the other person. It's some kind of little tribal mentality. Any of y'all went to elementary school remember that? That kind of thing happens, right? And I got to think about elementary school in this text a little bit. And I thought to myself, remember how excited you were at the beginning of the school year when you had that big fat pencil and it was brand new? Do you remember that? When you were learning how to write in elementary school and they gave you the pencil that was as big as your finger? I can't use which finger it was as big as. We'll go with this one. 
Remember that big, giant, navy blue pencil? Yep. Some of y'all was writing with sticks in elementary school, I think. But <laughs> For the most part, so we had pencils. And invariably, your pencil would go missing. Sometimes on the first day, sometimes on the second day, sometimes on the fourth day. But you would be sitting there and you wouldn't have your pencil anymore and all you had left was some little scrub of a pencil you had the year before. You couldn't even put it into pencil sharpener without fear of hitting your knuckles when you sharpened it. And you look across the table from you and there sits Tommy with your big shiny new pencil. Now you don't know if you dropped it on the floor and he picked it up or if he swiped it when you were at the water cooler getting a drink of water. You don't remember, do you, Bill? Don't remember. But somehow Tommy ended up with your pencil. And Tommy's sitting there and he's just waiting on you to say something because he knows he's got your pencil. And finally you said, that's my pencil, give it back. And what did Tommy say? Does it have your name on it? Am I right or am I right? And from then on, see, even some of the kids that's recently been in elementary school shaking their head, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> Had to decide whether that pencil is worth the tension or not at that point. And from then on, we learned that if you don't want something to get taken from you, what do you got to do? Got to write your name on it. Write your name in your book bag. Put your name on the back of your car called a license plate. Put your name on your account. Put your name on your house called a title, right? We were introduced to the way that the world works. If you don't want to have something taken away from you, what do you have to do? Anybody want to venture a guess? I already said it. Play along with me. I don't want to be bored today. <laughs> what do you have to do? Write your name on it. If you don't want Tommy to steal your junk, you got to write your name on it. That's how it works. Now, sometimes they'll show up. You got your shiny little dirt bike in the backyard. Your grandfather brought over because he thought you ought to have something to ride and break your collarbone with. You got it chained to the big gigantic oil tank in the backyard. Some of y'all don't remember that. But that's where it was. And people not only show up to get it, they show up with the right size bolt cutter to cut that big chain. And it doesn't matter what you do to get it back because you forgot to write your name on it. One of the most embarrassing experiences of my adult life occurred over the threat of somebody stealing something. I'm 17 years old. I'm Two months shy of being 18, I've graduated high school, I'm rolling off to architecture school at Clemson. I think I'm 50 years old and an adult. First taste of new independence, I'm about to break out into the big wide world and conquer it. No clue did I have. But at any rate, that's what I was thinking. I've moved in, my parents took me up, they helped me move in, they dropped us off and they left me there with some guy I'd never met before in a dorm room that was built out of tin in the 1950s and was supposed to be temporary, or 1930s, I forget which. But 50 years later, we were standing in it, about to unpack my bags, 
unzipped my suitcase, pulled out a pair of underwear, and right there in the back of it, in big black magic marker, was my name. <laughs> now, somebody told my mama that if she didn't write my name in my underwear, somebody would steal my underwear at the laundromat. <laughs> Who's going to steal your underwear at the laundromat? Anybody? Who is this underwear thief? But right there just shows you how deeply ingrained in us the idea is that the person whose name is on something owns it. I mean, clearly that's why the U.S. Treasury puts their name on your dollar bills. You don't own it. It might be in your pocket, but if they want it back, you got to give it to them. Caesar's name was on the coin that he required the subjects of the kingdom to pay the tax with. Because he thought he was the be-all, end-all. He thought he was the most dramatic power in the world. He had control of half the known world at the time. He imposed this tax in 6 A.D., and said, you're going to pay this tax and you're going to pay it with a coin with my head on it. And you're going to pay it with a coin that says on it, an inscription, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. In other words, he had claimed to be the son of God. You might remember from a few weeks ago, I told the story of how when Augustus was being put away, they had, see, had seen a comet and declared that Augustus had been divine. And if Augustus was divine, that means he was divine, something to that effect. Augustus saw the comet when he was burying Julius, something like that. I'm confused this morning. It's okay. I couldn't remember something here a little while either, a little while ago. Right, Marie? She said, were you brain working today? I said, we'll find out. <laughs> but Tiberius had decided that he was the son of a god named Augustus. You seen the drama yet? And so he put his name on a coin so that the people who had to pay that tax were paying him tribute as a god. Boy, that's something, isn't it? Wow. The people who had to pay that tax were paying him the tribute of a god. Now, the first or second, the second commandment, God told the Israelites not to make any kind of idols not to make a graven image. And what, a, what Tiberius had made was a graven image. And so the Israelites weren't allowed to bring that coin into the temple. They had to exchange that coin at the changer's table for other money that they could then make their offerings to the temple with. But Jesus calling them a hypocrite isn't entirely because they were trying to trap they were testing him about the lawful act. Is it lawful for us to pay the tax with a coin that says that Tiberius is the son of God? In other words, is it lawful for us to pay a man tribute as a god? And the answer is clearly no. It doesn't have anything to do with modern politics. So when people try to suck out of this a two kingdoms doctrine or whether we should pay taxes to the U.S. government doesn't have anything to do about that. It has to do with who owns what in the world. And Caesar had said he owned everything and he even demanded the tribute 
to himself as a god. And so when they brought this coin into the temple, they were committing idolatry. The same idolatry that they were trying to trap Jesus in. Because if Jesus had said, yes, it's okay to pay this tax, then he was saying, yes, it was okay to pay this man homage with a coin that declared that he was the Son of God. And so then the Pharisees could get him in trouble by saying that he had committed idolatry, even though they apparently, one of them, had a coin. (laughs) Probably the Herodians. And what they were hoping for, what they were hoping for is that Jesus would say, no, it's not okay to pay that tax. If you pay that tax, you're violating a commandment of God. They wanted Jesus to say that, so then they could tell the Romans, and the Romans could get rid of him. You see the situation Jesus is in? So what does he do? He reminds them whose name is written on them. Show me the coin, he said. Whose inscription is this? Whose name is on it? Whose image is on the coin? Whose icon? What Jesus is calling to mind for them is the first order theological understanding of the creation. That all of humanity is created in the image of God, in the icon of God. That we are all created to reflect God's glory. So just as Tiberius created a coin to reflect his glory, God created all of us to reflect God's glory. But only one of those glories is legitimate. And that's the glory of the God of Israel. So Jesus is calling to to their minds that they belong to God. Not to their rules, not to the temple, not to Herod, and not to Rome. So he tells them, you might remember from the old King James, to render unto Caesar what is Caesar, and unto God what is God's. And what is God's? They are. And everything else in all of creation. Everything that exists, the Gospel of John tells us, exists through Jesus Christ. Exists through the creative action of the Father. Everything that exists, the book of Genesis tells us, exists through the creative spoken word of the eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who said, let light be everything that exists from the most infinitesimal little coronavirus to the highest mountain peak exists because it was formed in the mind of God you ever said anything that was profound and then were shocked by it Anybody else ever had that experience? Said something really good and you can't believe you thought of it? Remember how that kind of hung on your tongue and you were so excited to say it for a second? And it hangs on the tongue? As I was thinking about this, I pondered what it was like for God in that moment when creation went from being a thought to a word to a reality. 
That's what Jesus is reminding them of that day in the temple as they bring a counterfeit claim of Tiberius to be divine into the temple of the living God. That's why he called them hypocrites. So what are we to do? If we desire to follow this Jesus, this person who truly was the Son of God come to the temple, if we desire to follow this one whom we say is the exact representation of God's being to us, if we desire to follow him instead of the empire, what do we do? Where do we begin? Where do we begin? I hear Jesus saying to me this morning, begin with remembering whose name is written on you. Just like we should have written our name on our big fat pencil. Just like my mama was protecting me from the Clemson University underwear thief. Just like your car tag helps protect you from someone stealing your car. God has written God's name upon you. God has fashioned God's own image upon you. But not only that, but you were conceived in the very mind of God. You exist because he loves you. I hear Jesus saying to us today, begin there. <clears throat> if you want to follow me and not some some empire, if you want to follow me and not a political system, if you want to follow me and not some crazed dictator, if you want to follow me and not Tiberius, if you want to follow me and not the emperor, if you want to follow me and not money, begin by remembering that you were created by me. You were created by Father, Son, and Spirit. You have his name written upon you. <clears throat> the Pharisees, <clears throat> just a few days before this, had been to synagogue. I don't know if the Herodians went to synagogue or not. The synagogue is that Saturday day of worship, the gathering together of God's people that they knew. And they had been to worship, and at the end of worship, the rabbi or the priest or whoever was the officiant that day gave them the blessing that God had told Moses to give to the Nazarite people, to all the people who would set themselves off as intimate followers of their creator. <clears throat> and it became the standard benediction after their corporate worship. And this is what God gave to Aaron, the priest. God said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. This is from number six. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 
And then God said, tell them to say this. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. God's purpose for giving the Aaronic benediction is what it's called. The benediction of the priests, the sons of Aaron. The benediction of people like me. That's the tradition that I stand in. The benediction that God calls them to give to the worshipers is this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And this is the promise God makes about what will happen in that moment. So they will put my name on the Israelites. And just as in creation at the beginning of the worship life of the people of Israel, God reestablished that God's name was written upon them. I hope that solidifies the case for you, that God's name is written upon you. If you desire to follow Jesus, begin by remembering who you belong to. And remind yourself daily that God's name is written upon you. That God's image is stamped on you. And the purpose of your life is to glorify Him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.